This is Beyond the Farm Gate, a show where we shine a light on great Australian stories in agriculture. On the show, you'll hear from farmers who've survived challenges like fire, flood and drought, people who run innovative and unique agribusinesses, and those who are balancing work and family in rural Australia. You'll be inspired hearing their stories and pick up some insights along the way. I'm your host, Annie Herbert. Today I'm chatting with John Droppett. John is the Industry Insights and Analysis Manager at Dairy Australia. Having grown up on his family's dairy farm in Victoria, John continues to be a strong advocate for the dairy industry. He's also an avid tweeter and fellow podcast host. In this episode, you'll hear why John ignored his parents' advice to leave dairy and never return, what the industry is doing to attract and retain talent, and the impact that both the foodie movement and COVID-19 has had on our dairy producers. Let's jump in. G'day, John. Thanks for joining me today. No, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. Well, I did go back and have a look through our episode catalogue, and you're actually only our second ever dairy guest, so I'm really excited to milk this episode for all the dairy insights I can possibly get. That's going to be a long chat if we're going with the dairy puns, but let's hook in. Now, you're based in Bunyip, which is right in the middle of dairy heartland. Are you able to paint me a little bit of a picture of where you're currently living? Yeah, so I'm down on the swamp, as it were, the Kuirup Swamp, just south of Bunyip there, and it's you know it's all flat land, a lot of dairy in there, previously a lot of potatoes and asparagus, and more recently a lot of subdivision and people building on a floodplain, so that should go really well. But yeah, the best part of West Gippsland and commuter towns as well and into Melbourne, so the best of everything, really. Absolutely, and you're no stranger to agriculture and all things dairy. Are you able to tell me about where your connection to ag first began? You know, I'm given to understand that 15 generations ago, my family were doing ag in Holland and I've been sent a family tree that goes back that far. So it was just a, one of those random Facebook messages you get. But yeah, more recently, my grandparents came out from Holland when my dad was 10 and they've been farming ever since in Gippsland. So they went through the share farming thing in South Gippsland and then um, set up in Denison in the McAllister Irrigation District. My dad was an earth-moving contractor for many years and then got back into dairy farming. And so I grew up on, well, most of my childhood was spent on family farm, which was fairly undeveloped when we bought it and went through the whole phase of developing it and building it up into a dairy enterprise. And it's just recently been sold. So yeah, the whole childhood was struggling dairy farmer kind of 101. It was sort of the highs and lows of it all. It's been a fascinating journey. And growing up in Gippsland, uh, there was a lot of agriculture around, even if you were still in a minority in school, for example, there was plenty of it going on. Given you grew up around, as you say, the highs and lows of dairy, was it something that you were encouraged to pursue as a career option after school? Yeah, no, it wasn't. My parents, they really struggled and they got into the dairy industry at the tail end of the 90s. And I think in the 90s, they a lot of the old timers say anyone could make money in dairy back then, but towards the end of it and with deregulation, things got pretty tough and the early 2000s are pretty well documented. What happened to milk production and farm numbers through that period? So real struggle town. And so they were always keen for me to get away from the dairy industry and leave agriculture or or at the very least have options. There was never an expectation that this is our farm and one day it'll be your farm. All of us kids were told, get an education, go out there and tread your own path. We weren't sort of told that we wouldn't be welcome at Christmas if we stuck around (laughs) in agriculture. It wasn't quite that bad. But they were very, very clear not to put that expectation on us that, you know, just because that's what they did, we should do it too. 
And to be honest, they didn't try hard to advertise it either. So, you know. <laughs> so now you're with Dairy Australia. What brought you back to dairy and what has made you stay, I suppose, as well? Yeah, so I wasn't that good at going out and I didn't find anything else very interesting, to be honest, because I grew up on the farm. That was what I was familiar with. So I sort of dabbled around, you know, when you're studying, you find things that you can really identify with and academic knowledge that translates to something you can see practically is is always going to be more engaging. So those sciencey subjects that translated back to ag science and the economics subjects that illustrated how dairy markets worked, for example, and what was going on in markets that you see playing out in real time. Those were the things I found really interesting. And when I was at uni, I got a rural finance scholarship, as they were called at the time. And so there was a real encouragement with that to network in amongst agriculture. And so that just kind of built those connections. And it's been said so many times before that agriculture is one of those areas that has everything. You can do anything you like. Agriculture has always been one of those industries you can do anything. You can work in any area of business with any set of skills and there's going to be a job for you in agriculture. And so that just kept me fascinated and I've never really felt the need to look. I mean, you're always looking at the options out there, but I've never felt pushed anywhere further because there was always so much opportunity here. With what I do in dairy markets, there's just the market itself's just got so much intellectual stimulation. It's kind of it's an organized market, but it's also got a lot of idiosyncrasies. It's not quite as well developed as, for example, grains, where there's a much more homogenous product that's getting traded, you know, much more well-developed risk management. You know, dairy is a little bit fly by the seat of your pants, but also has got structures and processes that you can understand. As you mentioned, it has been well documented that at times the dairy industry has been challenging. And I think that is quite often what we see in the broader media. And it's this image that is portrayed that dairy farming, it is bloody tough. For kids leaving school or people even our age that are looking for a career change, why should dairy be a career path that they should be interested in? When you're growing up on the farm, and especially when your parents, as a lot of farmers are, are first generation or even not first generation, but struggling towards that farm ownership goal, you know, they're immersed in it. So they spend a lot of their time drowning, to be honest. And that's not very appealing. I've seen my parents come out the other side of that. Just recently, they've sold the farm and they set out 25 years ago to build something and they've just realised that investment. You know, I'm sure they can't walk properly anymore and they, their bodies are just stuffed from it. And I think mentally they're going to need a couple of years to get over it. But there is an outcome there. A lot of it comes down to that outcome. But I think there's probably more need to make it about pathways as well. So you, you don't just get thrown in the deep end and you sink or swim, but to make it more about that pathway forward, whether people want to go to farm ownership or whether they just want to build a career where they get paid a wage or see some sort of advancement. You get a lot of really good farm labour and mum and dad loved having work on the farm, but inevitably they wanted to advance their career as well, which is fair enough. So the good vets, the good farm workers, everyone kind of ends up moving on because they want to take the next step too. And I think if you can set up those steps to keep people within agriculture, but also give them what they quite rightly want and reward that talent. That really helps keep people engaged and help them put the skills that they built to good use. Absolutely. And I think one of the other issues is that there is this stereotype out there or perhaps a perception of people outside the industry that the only work within the dairy industry is getting up early, milking cows, but you're proof that there are so many different options within the dairy industry. It's not just about being on farm. What other pathways, as you've been talking about, are available to people in dairy? Yeah, absolutely. And not everyone can be a dairy analyst. There wouldn't be many analysts if there wasn't anyone milking cows. So of course, that's something that 
you've got to recognise. But then again, there wouldn't be many people milking cows if no one came and picked the milk up or no one processed it or we couldn't export it to anywhere because no one overseas trusted any of the processes we had in the market. So there's just so many, like I said at the start, you can put any set of skills to work in the dairy industry. How do we turn that into a marketable proposition to someone? I think that's a good question, but they've got to have some curiosity as well to sort of scratch around below the surface and find out what's out there. And what can the broader industry do in turn to attract talent? You can't just go out there and and make ads talking about how great it is if people are seeing the struggle side of it as well. There's probably a little bit about repositioning the challenge from being the one where everything's stuffed because a lot of people do struggle and stuff does happen, you know, droughts and market crashes and, you know, corporate issues. There's any number of things that can happen to really good people who just are unlucky or get caught at the wrong end of the wrong business cycle. I don't think we can hide that and I don't think we should be trying to talk around that. But if you put that opportunity in front of people and are upfront about what the challenges are, there's a good number of people out there that are up for it. And I think those sorts of people are the ones that you want to have in an industry like this. I don't want to trick farmers into thinking something and farmers don't want to trick people into coming to work for them that are not going to last very long. So putting that challenge out there and also having some sort of inspiring vision. I think one of several reasons the dairy industry in New Zealand has done really well for most of the last 20 years is it's had this perception of being a place where people come and it's going somewhere. It's a big part of the New Zealand economy. People grow wealth in the industry there, just like they do here, but it kind of feels like it's going somewhere. And I think that kind of self-perpetuates as time goes on. People want to be part of a winning industry. You know, they don't want to be in something where everyone's whinging all the time and it's all too hard. One thing I wanted to dig a little deeper into, and perhaps this is part of that perception of dairy being a winning industry and wanting to get to that point. And what I wanted to talk about was how the foodie movement has impacted the dairy industry. I mean, when I was a kid, options were like full cream versus skim milk. When you go order a coffee, yogurt was like play or it was nothing. And cheese was maybe like as fancy as a bit of, I don't know, chopped up cube cheese on a platter. It was not like it is today. How has, from your perspective, the foodie movement influenced the dairy industry? There's probably two things offhand. I mean, the, the first one is, to your point, the product innovation has been incredible. And you know, just take flavoured milk's one of my advices. I mean, there's just, <laughs> you know, you don't have to buy the same flavoured milk every time you go to the supermarket. There's a different one every week. It's amazing. You can really indulge. You can really get into product and enjoy it at such a tangible level. Entertain yourself, if you're like me, by doing that. Some flavours probably more risky than others, but it's something that people can grasp and sort of be a part of, but also it's not just something you slap on your cereal in the morning and don't think any further about it. I should say too, as a market analyst, you know, all those flavours, they're all coming in at, you know, at a pretty decent per unit rate too. You're not paying a dollar a litre for flavoured milk. So that's all opportunity for farmers and everyone else in the supply chain to get value out of the product they're selling. But on that, I guess the other thing is that it's a premiumization opportunity for the category as a whole. So people who want real food, look at butter as an example, it's cream, water and salt. Compared to some of the alternatives that are out there, there's not too many places that industrial or lab grown or some of these dairy replacements we're seeing, I think they try to get that vibe around them, but it's never going to be a natural product that has that foodie appeal that real dairy has. And so I think it's a great thing to have dairy attracting that kind of taste and that kind of consumer, because it's one of heading forward when we're going to have even more competition from plant-based and lab-grown and and other sorts of industrial replacements for dairy, dairy has got a really strong attribute in the fact that it's natural. You know, it comes out of a cow and it's been with us for thousands and thousands of years. So furthering on that, 
and this concept of conscious consumers, so not just the foodies, but do people care about where their food comes from and more specifically where their dairy products come from? It's obviously not a uniform phenomenon. I mean, if you're struggling to pay the bills or you're not sure you can afford the next meal, then the fact that it's on the plate in front of you and your cart wasn't declined is a good start. You just look at the share of private label versus branded milk branded struggles to get over 50% because I think there's a lot of consumers out there that when it comes to just fresh white milk, it might not be the case across all the things they buy, but fresh white milk, they trust it's a safe product, it's a staple product, and they don't feel like they can throw money away on something that might be a bit more expensive. But there's a huge portion of consumers out there that really do put a lot of thought into that at the individual consumer level. And there's also institutionally, so we talk to investment banks and other sort of or lending institutions, but other non-government organisations, corporates involved in other ways in the industry in my role. And ESG, you know, environmental, social and governance stuff is increasingly right up there in the questions they're asking. So it's it's not just the individual consumers that care, but it's really these, these institutions as well. And, and I know for a lot of people, that's a bit of a who cares kind of response to that. But these people are tied up with the ease of doing business and the cost of doing business. And if you start to end up on the outer, it becomes more and more difficult to attract and retain talent or attract and retain capital to get governments to facilitate you doing business in the most efficient way possible and trade agreements and financing sort of mechanisms and all sorts of other things just get a lot harder. So what these institutions care about matters, I think, as much as what individual consumers who are purchasing the product care about. And they all want to know where the product's coming from. They want to be able to buy into the story as well, I think. And did COVID have an impact on this and people caring more so about where their product is coming from? Yeah, I think it did. And and it's we saw, you know, obviously during the panic buying, people went from buying the product that was on special to buying the product that was on the shelf. And we have seen branded share sticking around because people have all of a sudden valued where their food comes from. Over time, that drifts. We saw when the dairy crash in 2016 happened, we saw branded milk copped a really big increase in share because there was this publicity around the extra money that that puts into the supply chain. And that stuck around for quite a few years afterwards. But Over time, other priorities come back to the front of consumers' minds and these things do drift. You know, that story is definitely not a a set and forget one. If you want people to buy into the dream, then it's a continuous thing, I think. And, you know, we see individual dairy brands do it really, really well, but I think it's it's something that's relevant to the whole industry. Picking up on something that you briefly touched on just before, and that's the environmental side of things. We're so conscious at the moment and have been for quite some time around the concept of emissions and how we get that down and what has the conversation been at the kind of space that you're in around the dairy industry and how it fits in with this environmental conversation as well? I don't want to undersell the work that others are doing. There's a huge amount of work being done at Dairy Australia in responding to that. Where I'm from as an analyst and the people I talk to, often it's just a case of, hey, you guys doing something about that? And I say, yeah, there's a plan. They've done a lot of work on it. You know, tick, happy days. You know, if you want to talk more about it, here's the person to talk to. But a lot of the people I talk to just want to know that the industry is aware of this and is not kind of stonewalling it. And I think if the perception is that, you know, you're not part of the team on this one, then you start to run into problems. But if something's being done, I mean, then most people aren't going to run through the climate change plan with a ruler and kind of do their own maths and worry about what factor you used or whether, you know, whether this plan or that plan is is a better one or way of doing it. They just want to know that you've given it half a thought and that the industry is aware of this challenge. 
and that's enough that you care about it and moving on, which is, you know, makes sense. That happens at the consumer level too. If people hear of a food safety scandal, they care about food safety. If not, you know, they're not going through checking the number on the back of the carton and the batch number and cross-referencing it. And once you can take something for granted, it's human nature to want to do that. Absolutely. And at the same time, we do have this rise of alternate, specifically milk products as well. So why should we keep drinking and consuming dairy? Well, for me personally, I bought some oat milk once for research. <laughs> you know, I made a cuppa with it and I drank it and, you know, I survived. But then I came back the next morning and there was this residue at the bottom of my mug that it was cracked and peeling because they've put a whole bunch of calcium carbonate in there to try and get the, which is lime effectively, to get the calcium numbers up to what dairy has. And that was enough to convince me that if they're filling this stuff up with lime dust to try and make it appear all right, then maybe I should just buy the product that comes with the bioavailable nutrients that my body needs rather than industrial product that's been filled in there. So it tastes the best. It's the best for you. As we said at the start, there's no shortage of opportunities to consume dairy in a way that works for you. So that's probably my sales pitch there, that go with the original. <laughs> I love it. So to wrap up and a question that we ask all our guests on Beyond the Farm Gate and probably a little left of field and unfortunately I haven't been able to figure out a way to incorporate a dairy pun into it, but when you're out on the farm and I know you have been quite busy this week, what work boots do you wear? I grew up in elastic sided boots, so Blundstones, Redbacks, Rossies, 30 odd years, happy days with those. But then I started to have real foot problems about a year ago, rolling my ankles and all sorts of stuff. And I was told to get out of the elastic sided and get into the zip up lace up boots. I know you had Jack Cressel on recently and he kind of wasn't a believer in, in having a bend over to put your boots on properly and that. I've had some mongrels now for a year and I'll never go back. It's just amazing. I'm a convert to the zip ups and I've still got the blunt stones and I have to literally be going to the mailbox or just to the shed to get something to be bothered to put them on. Anything else, it's worth the time. Pull them on, do the zip up. You'll never feel the same again. I'm loving this inter-guest banter over the boots we never expected that the boots would get to this kind of point we might almost have to have a whole episode based around a boot debate I'm thinking yeah try them on Jack you won't regret it <laughs> well thank you so much John for coming on today and chatting about dairy and perhaps igniting a debate not only just about milk but also around boots <laughs> that's a pleasure thanks for having me thanks for listening this podcast is produced by Rural Bank. Rural Bank supports the agribusiness community by providing financial services, knowledge and leadership for Australian farmers to grow. If you'd like more information about the topics we discussed today, as well as links and other resources, we've added those to the show notes for this episode. You can find them by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player now. And while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm Annie Herbert and I'll chat to you next time.